I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode includes a homophobic slur. That is the direct quote of someone involved in this story. Please take care before listening. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. The call came into Hampton County Emergency Dispatch just after 4 a.m. on July 8, 2015. A driver outside Tiny Crockettville, South Carolina, spotted a body in the center of a remote stretch of highway known as Sandy Run Road. Speaking in a thick Southern drawl, the man told 911, somebody's gonna hit him, it's dark. The body belonged to 19-year-old Stephen Smith, a nursing student at nearby Orangeburg Calhoun Technical College. He was only a few miles from home. Sandy Run is one of hundreds of rural routes connecting the unincorporated hamlets that dot the state's low country, a vast marshland stretching from the Carolina Sandhills to the Atlantic Ocean. Members of the Hampton County Sheriff's Department were the first on scene that warm summer morning just west of Highway 601, an area hemmed by pine trees and cornfields. There was no glass, no car fragments, no tire marks, no paint chips, nothing to suggest a vehicle had been involved in Stephen's death. At first, police in the corner thought he may have been shot. The young man's phone was in his pocket and his loosely tied shoes still firmly attached to his feet. Neither a likely outcome if he'd been struck by a speeding car. And yet a hit and run would become the sheriff's department's official determination one backed up by state pathologists and the county medical examiner. 
the story didn't sit well, not with Stephen's friends, not with his family, and not with the South Carolina Highway Patrol, which specializes in reviewing deadly traffic accidents. Todd Proctor was the lead state detective assigned to the investigation. He would later tell the national media, nothing about this case from the very beginning pointed towards it being a hit and run. The circumstances begged several questions. Why would Hampton County make such a rush to judgment regarding the cause of death? Who were they trying to protect? And who was responsible for killing Stephen Smith? It would take eight years and one capital murder trial for South Carolina authorities to admit that what happened that night in Low Country was no traffic accident. It was a homicide. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the case of Stephen Smith and its connections to one of the country's most notorious modern crime stories. Hampton County is one of 12 counties that comprise South Carolina's Low Country, a region in the southeast corner of the state made up of salt marshes, winding waterways, and sandy beaches. The land in Low Country is literally sunk lower into the water, only 270 feet above sea level, hence its name. In the two centuries before Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, Low Country was home to some of the South's most profitable plantations. Slave labor churned out rice and indigo, two highly sought after crops that flourish in the hot subtropical climate. So determined was the state's ruling class to preserve slavery, South Carolina became the first state to secede from the Union after Lincoln's inauguration in January of 1861. 10 more would follow. At 4.30 on the morning of April 12, 1861, Confederate troops fired on Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, marking the start of the Civil War. Then State Attorney General James L. Pettigrew, a critic of the decision, said, South Carolina is too small for a republic and too large for an insane asylum. Created by the state legislature in 1878, 13 years after the Confederacy's defeat, Hampton County is named for Wade Hampton III, a plantation owner turned Confederate general, who served in two of the war's most famous battles, Fredericksburg and Gettysburg. Spread over 560 square miles, the county is today home to just 18,000 people, down from over 21,000 in 2010. As jobs at textile mills and manufacturing plants have dried up in recent years, many have fled to nearby population centers, places like Charleston to the east and Savannah, Georgia to the south. In 2014, the county's fourth largest employer, Nevamar, which makes laminate surfaces, shuttered a plant that had operated in Hampton since World War II, costing over 200 people their paychecks. The economic health of the inland low country remains tenuous and unemployment high. Hundreds of residents work industrial jobs or at distribution centers that have popped up due to the low cost of land and the county's proximity to Interstate 95 which runs the length of the eastern seaboard from Florida to Maine. Though Hampton County itself is landlocked, 
local shops and restaurants count on tourists who flock to the Carolina coast every year to destinations like Charleston and Hilton Head Island. Closer to home, 200-acre Lake Warren State Park promises some of the best largemouth bass fishing in the South. Watercraft are a way of life in Hampton County, with those fortunate enough to have modern boats owning slips along the Lowcountry's endless network of waterways that can carry a person all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. According to the 2020 census, Hampton's population is nearly split by race, 52% African-American and 46% white. Despite decades of racial progress, the county remains largely segregated, with blacks centered inland and whites spread throughout small communities closer to the Delta. The Low Country is rich with history and culture. Its annual Watermelon Festival is the longest running festival in South Carolina. It's home to the Gullah Geechee, a people directly descended from Africans who were enslaved on plantations of the lower Atlantic coast. Far from any metropolis, Hampton County has not been spared from big city crime. Violent crime in particular has risen sharply in recent years, driven largely by poverty and drug abuse. A 2021 report from the State Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, showed a marked increase in murders, sexual batteries, and weapons charges across the state, including in Hampton County. In 2019, in what police called a revenge killing, a Hampton County man shot another outside the man's home after a fight. The victim staggered inside, collapsed and died in front of his 13-year-old son. In Hampton County, there is a stark divide between rich and poor, between the haves and the have-nots. Stephen Smith was a member of the latter, but unlike other people, it didn't seem to bother him. Speaking in the HBO documentary, Low Country, Stephen's friend, Passion Mixon, said of Hampton County, if you don't have money, you're a nobody. You know, like how you see in the movies, there's always the popular group and there's the odd ones that don't fit in. Well, we were the odd ones. Stephen Nicholas Smith came into the world on January 29th of 1996. Born in Lexington County, South Carolina, he arrived just minutes after his big sister, Stephanie. The two would remain inseparable for the rest of their lives. Stephanie the shy one, Stephen always outspoken. Joyful and mischievous, Stephen enjoyed playing pranks on his mother, Sandy, who relished everything about her rambunctious blonde-haired boy. Sandy said in the HBO doc, he always made you smile. If there was one thing Stephen Smith loved more than his family, it was animals. Once while walking to his parents' mobile home, he discovered a stray dog that had been hit by a car on the side of the road. Stephen took it home and nursed it back to health. Another time, he crawled into a muddy culvert to try to save two lost puppies. Beyond growing up poor, Stephen faced an even greater challenge, growing up gay in the conservative South. Are you sick of lugging around those huge laundry detergent jugs that are trashing our planet? Yeah, me too, but I'm not here to just complain about it. I actually found a better way to do laundry and it's called Earth Breeze. Their Eco Sheets are a total game changer. 
They're liquidless and dissolve 100% in any wash cycle, no matter how hot or cold. No measuring, no mess, and no more need for those massive plastic jugs. Just toss in an eco sheet and you're good to go. Earth Breeze is the future of laundry detergent. Their packaging is lightweight, biodegradable, and totally plastic free. Plus, they're great for everyone, including those of you with sensitive skin. Their eco sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. They're also compatible with all kinds of washers, gray water systems, and septic tanks. Plus, EarthBreeze offers flexible subscriptions you can adjust, pause, or cancel anytime with no sneaky contracts or fees. And you won't be sacrificing anything by switching to EarthBreeze. Your clothes will still come out super clean. EarthBreeze is tough on stains, fights off odors, and leaves your clothes looking and smelling fresh. I was pleasantly surprised with how clean and fresh smelling my laundry was after using the eco sheets. And they actually cleaned my daughter's clothes, which was a total shocker. On top of that, I didn't have to lug around an awkward, heavy water-filled jug of laundry detergent. Earth Breeze delivered eco sheets straight to my door. Why not give Earth Breeze a try and help save the planet one laundry load at a time? Trust me, your arms will thank you for ditching those plastic jugs. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try it yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you decide EarthBreeze isn't for you, they'll give you a refund, no questions asked and no return necessary. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash murderish to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash murderish for 40% off. From the time Stephen was in grade school, his parents realized their son wasn't like most other boys. He was gentle to a fault, spoke in an effeminate tone, and preferred singing along to Taylor Swift songs over sports. Sandy Smith said to the Island Packet, the low country's most prominent local paper, Stephen wouldn't hurt a fly. Although Stephen Smith never officially came out as gay, most of his friends and family, including his father, Joel, were aware that he was attracted to members of the same sex. Sandy Smith said to TV station WCIV, a lot of people ask, well, how was it when he came out? And I say, well, he never had to come out. He never had to say, hey mom, I'm gay. He knew he was loved and his choices in life were his choices. And he did not have to answer to me or anybody else about who he was. While his parents may not have judged him, the same could not be said for the townspeople and his male classmates. George Smith, a family friend told HBO, being gay is the worst thing to be around here. They gonna shun you. You get shut out of the community and people talk about you so bad. Smith family attorney, Mike Hemlip, who himself is gay, said coming out in rural South Carolina means never being able to let your guard down. The looking and checking yourself, am I being noticed? The scanning the room to see whether there's danger. A young man like Steven, who may have been more openly effeminate, he probably did that on a constant basis. Well aware that his sexuality made him a target, 
Stephen didn't shy away from showing his true self. He let his bright blonde hair grow out to his shoulders, then gelled it to the side across his face. His fearlessness in the face of discrimination inspired others who were in a similar situation to do the same. Stephen's friend, Passion Mixon, said, he helped other people come out about being gay or bisexual, even when it was hard at home to be accepted. He was the strong one coming up. He let us know it's okay to be different. His cousin, Ashley Carroll said, Stephen put his own crown on his head and he wore it proudly. I think he liked standing out, but standing out came at a price, especially when Stephen got to high school. His group of self-proclaimed nobodies spent most of their free time at a local skating rink, a place where Hampton County's outcasts felt safe to be themselves. It was there that Stephen expressed his love of music and dancing. His mother Sandy said to the Island Packet, he was the life of the party everywhere he went. Another place Stephen stood out was inside the classroom, an avid reader who loved school. Stephen was a straight A student who graduated near the top of his class from Wade Hampton High. At the time of his death, he was taking classes to become a registered nurse. Despite his humble upbringing, Stephen's dream was to become a doctor. Stephen's mother described her son this way. He didn't let nobody get in the way of what he wanted. He was going to start out in nursing and work his way up to a doctor because he wanted to go overseas to help children that don't have doctors. And he would have been the best because what he put his mind to is what he did. So gifted was Stephen as a student that he would often tutor his high school classmates. Among those who sought out his help was Richard Alexander Murdoch Jr., better known as Buster. Buster Murdoch wasn't just one of the most popular kids at Wade Hampton High. His family was among the county's most prominent. Buster's father, Alex, came from a long line of successful attorneys, starting with Randolph Murdoch Sr., who opened a one-man law firm in Hampton in 1910. Everyone in Hampton knew of the Murdoch family and their long pedigree of power. Josiah Putnam Murdoch, Buster's great-great-grandfather, was a wealthy Lowcountry businessman related by marriage to Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederacy. Josiah's youngest son, Randolph Jr., also known as Buster, followed in his father's footsteps, serving as Hampton County solicitor for nearly 50 years from 1940 to 1986. In that five-decade span, he faced opposition only twice, further cementing the family's reputation within the Lowcountry's criminal justice system. According to his obituary, the original Buster Murdoch was known for his love of chewing tobacco, his courtroom prowess, and his flair for acting out murders before spellbound juries. So it came as little surprise when his son, Randolph Murdoch III, won election as county solicitor in 1986, a title he'd hold on to for another 20 years. Randolph and his wife had four children, including three sons, among them Richard Alexander, who went by Alex, and Randolph IV, or Randy, both of whom entered the family law firm. To be a Murdoch in Hampton County, locals said, 
meant to be above the law. It was a status symbol, a VIP pass, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Passion Mixon said in HBO's Low Country, some people can do whatever they want, and they just throw their last name out there and they get away with it. Stephen Smith would have been well aware of this power dynamic when he struck up a friendship with Alex and Maggie Murdoch's son, Buster. While he didn't throw his privilege around like his younger brother, Paul, Buster nevertheless conducted himself like any Murdoch would, with an air of superiority, even going back to the days when he and Stephen played on the same baseball team before high school. According to Stephen's sister, Stephanie, teammates could tell that Buster had money by the way he acted. Stephanie said, kind of like privileged, but not like a snobby privileged person. He was quiet when I was around him. But beneath that invincible Murdoch veneer, some said, hid a secret that threatened to shake Hampton County's royal family to its core. And Buster would do almost anything to prevent it from getting out. As he attended nursing classes at a nearby community college, Stephen Smith lived at home with his father and sister on Joe Miley Road outside Brunson. When he wasn't studying or spending time with friends at the skating rink, Stephen often ran errands for his aging dad. On the afternoon of July 7th, 2015, Stephen's father sent him to a local gas station for a pack of cigarettes. While he was there, he ran into trouble restarting his car, a dull yellow Chevy Aveo. He turned to his big sister for help. Stephanie said to local police, so I checked his car. I went to jump it off and it's like somebody loosened the battery connections. I tighten them up and follow him all the way home. With his beat up sedan running again, Stephen returned home to deliver the pack of smokes to his father and grab a quick shower. He quickly threw on some clothes, tossed gel in his hair, and headed back out the door to make the one hour drive to Orangeburg for night class. It was 6 p.m. and the last time anyone in Stephen's family would see him alive. Relatives recall Stephen acting strangely in the weeks leading up to his death, disappearing for long stretches and not letting anyone know where he'd been. Given his reputation as a social butterfly, Stephen's new air of secrecy caught the attention of those around him. He was whispering about a new guy he was involved with from Hampton County, whose name, should it get out, would cause an uproar of epic proportions. His mother grew concerned when her once goal-oriented son stopped studying and started missing school. Stephen's cousin, Ashley Carroll said, he was messing with a man from Hampton County that was high in power and that everybody would be shocked at who it was. I think his words were, if I say who this is, the whole Hampton County is gonna be shook. On the morning of July 8th, Stephanie Smith and her father headed up Highway 601 to get Joel to his job in Hampton, where he worked as a maintenance supervisor with the South Carolina Highway Department. They were only a short distance away when they noticed a line of state troopers on both sides of the country road. After dropping her father off at work, Stephanie said her curiosity got the best of her. She decided to go back to the highway, hoping to get a better look at the commotion. Upon returning, however, the roadway remained closed. Now, Stephanie knew something was wrong. 
Did you know that feeding your furry friend kibble every single day is like feeding them a diet of 100% processed foods? All the fillers, additives, and synthetics in dog kibble cannot be the best source of nutrition for our dogs. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to Mave Raw Food for Dogs. Formulated by PhD veterinary nutritionists with real human-grade ingredients, you can trust that your dog is getting the best nutrition possible. It's not fun for us when our dogs have bad breath or when they're experiencing itching and shedding and the occasional loose stool that's not so fun to clean up. Luckily, Maeve can help with all of that with seven essential health benefits, including gut health, immune function, oral hygiene, skin and coat health, hip and joint health, mental health and anxiety, and growth and early development. Maeve supports benefits you can see, feel, and smell. And the best part, it's just as easy to feed as kibble. No thawing or messy prep required. Simply open, pour, and serve. I recently began feeding Maeve to my boys, Shadow and Clipper. And when I tell you they run to their bowls when I pour it, I am not exaggerating. Not only am I spoiling my boys with the food they love, it's also an investment in their health and longevity. Shadow used to let his kibble sit all day without eating it. With Maeve dog food, he hears me walking to the garage freezer to get the food and he stalks me the entire way because he knows he's about to have a really delicious and nutritious meal. Maeve is picky eater approved and you'll likely notice your dogs being more playful and having shinier coats after eating it for a while. Most dog parents see results after switching to Maeve in just 28 days or less. And with over a thousand five-star reviews, you know you can trust Maeve to provide the best nutrition for your furry friends. Give them the unprocessed, high-protein, low-carb diet they need with Maeve Raw Food for Dogs. Make the switch to raw today. Right now, Maeve is offering $40 off your first order at meetmave.com murderish. That's spelled M-A-E-V to receive $40 off your first order. That's meetmaev.com slash murderish. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. After seeing the roadway still closed, a feeling of dread rose in Stephanie's stomach. She rushed home, but before she arrived, she received a call from her mother, who lived one county over. Stephanie told her mom that Stephen had not returned home from the night before. Sandy Smith said that's when she knew it was Stephen. As is the case with every traffic fatality in the state, the South Carolina Highway Patrol was called in to assist in the investigation. Although the case technically belonged to the Hampton County Sheriff's Department, the Highway Patrol was duty-bound to lend its expertise. So it came as a surprise to the first arriving patrolman that early morning that the Sheriff's Office had already declared the incident a hit and run. 
Even to the untrained eye and under the cover of darkness, the scene suggested something very different. Stephen Smith's lifeless body lay across the yellow center line, his five foot nine frame almost dead center in the roadway, his arms extended on either side and his face facing a pitch black sky. His mother described him as looking like a snow angel, save for a dark red streak of blood that painted the asphalt for several feet behind his head. Still inside the pocket of his khaki shorts was a partially charged iPhone, attached to his feet, a pair of blue Airspeed shoes. South Carolina Highway Patrol Officer Thomas Moore was one of the first law enforcement officers to arrive. He was struck by the cleanliness of the roadway. Moore said, generally, if a pedestrian is hit, they don't keep their shoes on. It essentially looked as though he was dropped there. I was confident when I left, this isn't a wreck, this is a murder. Corporal Michael Duncan was equally suspicious of the Sheriff's Department's conclusions. Duncan is a member of MATE, an investigative unit that specializes in car accidents. Duncan said to documentarians, it was very frustrating from the start because it was like a puzzle, but we were missing a whole lot of pieces that we shouldn't have been missing. The Sheriff's Department's theory was this, Stephen, whose car was recovered about three miles from the scene, had run out of fuel and was walking to the nearest gas station under the cover of darkness when he was struck by the mirror of a passing truck. The only problem, he didn't have his wallet and the gas station was in the opposite direction. The lead highway patrol investigator on the case, Todd Proctor, told Fox News in 2022 that he believed the incident was staged to look like a hit and run. The gas cap on Stephen's car, for example, was left hanging, the flap still ajar. Proctor said, as any investigator, you go off the evidence. There was no evidence that pointed towards this being a hit and run or a vehicle even being involved in it. It looked like it was more staged, like possibly the body had been placed in the roadway. Stephanie Smith argues, the empty fuel tank explanation makes no sense given that Stephen had his phone on him and easily could have called her. Having grown up traversing the low country's desolate roadways at all hours of the day, the twins learned from a young age to keep a good distance from traffic. Stephanie said, we were more afraid of what was on the road than what was in the woods. Because of the hit and run determination, Stephen's car was never dusted for prints or tested for DNA. In addition to the lack of physical evidence at the scene, Stephen's injuries were also not consistent with a high-speed collision. Besides a 7.25-inch gash on the right side of his forehead and multiple skull fractures, his only other ailments were a partially dislocated right shoulder and a few cuts and bruises on his right hand and legs. Pathologists at the University of South Carolina disagreed, determining that Stephen Smith had indeed been struck by a vehicle. In a July 8, 2015 autopsy report, they cite a detached brainstem, irregular abrasions and contusions, and blood in his airways. Ultimately, the Sheriff's Department refused to investigate the case as foul play. 
Upon receiving word of his son's death, Joel Smith was overcome by grief. But before he had time to grasp the reality of what had happened, the number of a local law firm appeared on his caller ID. The man on the other line was Randy Murdoch, Buster Murdoch's uncle. According to Sandy Smith, Randy Murdoch offered to provide Joel with free legal aid, an unusual offer given that the family law firm specialized in personal injury cases, not criminal cases. She said the attorney didn't ask any questions. He only requested the passwords to all of Stephen's social media accounts, telling Joel, I just need those electronics. An hour later, around 10.30 a.m., Sandy was on her way to the funeral home when she spotted Randy and Buster's dad, Alex Murdoch, on Sandy Run Road. Their presence at the scene further aroused her suspicion, given that they had no connection to her son and the public hadn't even been notified of his death. Lieutenant Moore told documentarians that he encountered an investigator from the Murdoch law firm with a camera at the crime scene just two days later, while the highway patrol was combing the area for evidence. Moore said, it wasn't about taking pictures. It was about seeing what we were doing, trying to get one step ahead, is the only thing that makes sense to me. If you wanted pictures, you could have got those at any time. Makes you wonder, is Murdoch involved in that? Stephen Smith was laid to rest at Gooding Cemetery in Hampton beneath a small nondescript headstone, the only one the family could afford. Stephen's sister, who'd been the one asked to identify him at the morgue, insisted on an open casket, even though the right side of her brother's face was badly mangled. Stephanie said, just like Emmett Till's mother, I pretty much wanted to make that same remark. Look at what they did to my brother. You just left him in the middle of the road like a piece of trash, like he didn't matter. Stephen's mother was in agreement saying, I wanted everybody to see what they did to my child because somebody did this. In spite of the pathologist's findings and the stance of the Hampton County Sheriff's Department, the South Carolina Highway Patrol decided to pursue the Stephen Smith case further, following up on whispers that were being passed around the small town. On phone call after phone call, investigators Todd Proctor and Michael Duncan encountered reluctant residents who had all heard a different version of the same thing. The Murdochs were involved. Two or three mentions might be a coincidence, but the Murdoch name came up no less than a dozen times in South Carolina Highway Patrol interviews with people who'd said they'd heard of the family's involvement third hand. Moore said that over time, the residents who spoke to state police initially began to leave town, either out of fear or because they'd been paid to do so. As he puts it, they were incentivized to not be available, to not present possible evidence that would lead to an answer. Pressed by Proctor about what he'd heard regarding Stephen Smith's death, one man said he'd been told that two or three young men in a vehicle were heading down Highway 601 when they spotted Stephen's car on the side of the road and saw him walking. According to the source's account, the group spun around and stuck something out of the window as they drove by, striking Stephen in the head with great force. 
In a recorded Highway Patrol interview, Proctor asks a young woman what she'd heard about the incident. She responds, I just heard that one of my classmates did it. When prodded for a name, there's a long pause on the other end of the phone before she utters Buster Murdoch. Are you tired of feeling like just another number at the doctor's office? Do you want to find a healthcare provider who listens to your concerns and prioritizes your care? We have all been there, sitting in the exam room, waiting for the doctor to come in, only to feel rushed and dismissed during the appointment. It's frustrating and demoralizing, especially when you're dealing with health issues affecting your daily life. But what if I told you there's a way to avoid this experience altogether? That's where ZocDoc comes in. With ZocDoc, you can find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. No more feeling like you're just a number on a chart or a face in a crowded waiting room or feeling like your doctor has better things to do. With ZocDoc, you're the center of attention and you can trust that your healthcare provider will give you the time and attention that you deserve. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take all of your energy. Using ZocDoc's free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com murderish and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com murderish. ZocDoc.com murderish. According to still unsubstantiated rumors, Stephen and Buster had been involved in a brief romantic fling, one the Murdoch family was desperate to keep quiet. They were never questioned by authorities. Then, only 19, Buster Murdoch made for an unlikely suspect. The polar opposite of his brash younger brother, Paul, who had a reputation for flaunting the law, Buster was known to be quiet, reserved and focused on higher education. He was about to begin his sophomore year at Wofford University in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and was spending his summer working for the family law firm. Remember, this was 2015, when the Murdoch name still didn't mean much beyond the borders of Hampton County. It was before Paul Murdoch was accused of DUI in a boating crash that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach before the Murdoch family's housekeeper would be found dead under unusual circumstances at the family ranch, before Alex Murdoch would be accused of murdering his own son and wife, and before multiple documentaries and the national coverage that would follow. Stephen Smith's death was the first of a string of deaths that would eventually be linked to the Murdoch family. For his part, Buster Murdoch has vehemently denied having anything to do with Stephen Smith's death. In a statement released in March of 2023, the now 26-year-old Murdoch said, 
These baseless rumors of my involvement with Stephen and his death are false. I unequivocally deny any involvement in his death and my heart goes out to the Smith family. According to incident reports from the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office, Buster Murdoch has been the target of harassment by members of the media, whether it's stalking him during road trips, parking outside his residence, or capturing photos of him inside of his Hilton Head Island home. Now, the only member of his immediate family not dead or in jail, Buster Murdoch said he can no longer stay quiet about the accusations made against him. Buster said, I've tried my best to ignore the vicious rumors about my involvement in Stephen Smith's tragic death that continue to be published in the media as I grieve over the brutal murders of my mother and brother, adding, I love them so much and miss them terribly. Smith family attorney, Mike Hemlep, has stopped short of implicating Buster in the crime, but he is convinced that Stephen was targeted because he was openly gay. In a July 2002 video taken during a dedication for a new gravestone paid for by a group calling itself Standing for Stephen, Hemlep yells emphatically, there are 28,000 gay teenagers in South Carolina who know exactly why he died. I know exactly why he died. He then repeats the following phrase over and over again, saying, I didn't know Stephen Smith, but we all know Stephen Smith's. Hemlep also said during his speech, what I hope to achieve is that the person who did this will go to prison and I will uncover anybody who helped him, including anybody who covered this up, any official who knew and covered it up. That's going to come to light. That's our goal. As far as Joel Smith was concerned, there was no doubt who killed his son. It was a belief he took to the grave, dying of a heart attack in his sleep just three months after Stephen's death. Family friend George Smith said to HBO, the day he died, he told me, them Murdochs killed my son. He would tell anybody, Joel, what happened to your son? The Murdochs killed my son. They killed him because he was gay. While Stephen's sister Stephanie is less convinced of the Murdoch's involvement, she feels even the insinuation that one of the family members was a suspect derailed the initial investigation. She told Netflix in the documentary, Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal. As soon as the Murdoch name was tossed into the mix, I feel like the view on his case changed entirely. It went from finding justice for Stephen to defending the Murdochs and making sure everybody knew that they had nothing to do with it. In the same documentary, Paul Murdoch's girlfriend, Morgan, recalls confronting Maggie, Paul, Buster, and Alex over the dinner table about Stephen's death. Morgan said, I asked, why is this girl saying this? And they kind of just laughed it off. Instead, Paul said, according to Morgan, we wouldn't kill that faggot. After Lowcountry residents rallied around finding justice for Stephen Smith in 2015, the case slowly fell from the headlines. Six years passed without any news. Sandy Smith, try as she might, struggled to get beyond the loss of her beloved son. She moved into a mobile home in a small town 45 minutes outside of Hampton. Her allies and law enforcement stopped calling, some friends too. She felt abandoned, helpless to convince anyone in power 
that Stephen's case deserved another look. That all changed with the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch, Buster's mother and brother, on June 7th of 2021. The 52-year-old mother and her 22-year-old son were gunned down on the family's estate outside Islandton, Paul by a shotgun and Maggie with an assault rifle. While police first suspected that the killer held a grudge against the high-profile family, detectives' attention soon turned to an unthinkable assailant, Alex Murdoch, Maggie's husband and Paul's father. It was early on in that investigation when the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, made the stunning announcement that they were reopening Stephen Smith's case. Officials were mum when asked why they were reopening Stephen's case, saying only that they had found evidence on the Murdoch property related to the crime. On March 2nd of this year, Alex Murdoch was convicted of murdering his wife and son. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Prosecutors said that Alex Murdoch committed the murders to gain sympathy and distract from a probe into his financial misdeeds, including allegations that he stole money from clients. Three weeks after Alex Murdoch's conviction, SLED made another announcement, stating for the first time publicly that Stephen Smith's death was being looked at as a homicide, not a hit and run. As for Sandy Smith, she used money raised from an online crowdfunding effort to exhume Stephen's body from Gooding Cemetery, where he was laid to rest nearly eight years earlier. Her goal, to have a private autopsy done. Smith said on her GoFundMe page, we need a new unbiased look at his body and an accurate determination of his cause of death based on facts. At a news conference about the decision to exhume Stephen's body, Eric Bland, a lawyer working on the case with Hemlep, reiterated that they do not have a suspect in mind. Bland said to a local TV station, as we sit here today, Buster is a victim. He lost his mother, a brother, and now his father's in jail. Buster, as we know, has nothing to do with this and whatever is mentioned in the records, that's what investigators are going to look at. But we have no knowledge at all about Buster or the Murdochs having anything to do with this right now. We're starting with a fresh set of eyes. Stephen Smith's death has not been for naught. His slaying and the attention it's received in recent years has served as a rallying cry for LGBTQ rights in South Carolina, one of only a handful of states left without a hate crime law tied to sexual orientation. On October 30th, 2021, the Capitol Club, the longest continuously operating private gay bar in the Southeast, held a fundraiser in Stephen's name. Sandy was the guest of honor. The event raised over $8,000 for standing for Stephen which now provides financial aid to help the family seek justice. In an interview given to WJCL in Savannah, before the end of Alex Murdoch's trial, attorney Mike Hemlick spoke on what would have been Stephen's 27th birthday. Hemlep told the TV station, ultimately, the truth is going to come out. If that involves the Murdochs, let the truth be told. If it doesn't, that's fine. We're going to let the facts dictate that. 
were not out on a witch hunt on anybody. According to the native South Carolinian, nothing in the state's marshy low country stays buried for long. Hampton County is a small county. People know what happened. For some reason or another, it's been hidden. For anyone who's listening right now who may have information that could lead to the arrest of Stephen Smith's killer, please call 1-888-CRIME-SC. That's 1-888-CRIME-SC. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's at J-A-M-I on air on Instagram and TikTok. On social media, I recap a lot of true crime cases and I take you behind the scenes at my recording studio. So give me a follow at Jamie on air. If you'd rather listen to Murderish with no interruptions, you can do so by signing up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon. To sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic and get access to ad-free episodes, visit Murderish.com or go to patreon.com and search for Murderish there. I want to say a big thank you to Carol for becoming the latest Murderish patron. I really appreciate your support. If you need more podcasts to listen to, I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago, a woman who turned out to be a prolific scam artist. I also have a brand new podcast launching any day now called Trend Vetters. If you want to see what that show is all about, there's a trailer you can listen to right now. You can find Trend Vetters in any podcast app. If you enjoy Murderish, consider leaving a positive rating and review in any podcast app. Sound design and audio editing for this episode was done by Pod Machine. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.